So now we come back to Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 to 8 tonight. And picture uh, an elementary school classroom that the teacher announces that she's leaving for a few minutes to make some photocopies. And almost immediately upon exiting the classroom, the, the, the environment begins to relax. A few students uh, get up and begin wandering around. Some side conversations start uh, happening. The volume of the classroom begins to uh, go up. So a little paper football match is occurring in the corner. And, and <clears throat> most people are not doing the math assignment that the teacher told them, do this until I return. But you know, there's at least that one kid in the class who's, who's meticulously concerned about following the rules. And so he is trying to do his work, but he's also very worried that the teacher could come back and find this class in disarray, and he himself is going to get in trouble. So he has one eye on his assignment, and he has one eye on the hallway uh, to see uh, when is she coming back. And at one point, he sees her walking out of the faculty uh, lounge with those copies, and he announces to the class, she's coming. And immediately, those words have an effect that the desks are straightened, the, the room is quiet, and everyone is on task by the time the teacher gets back. The announcement of the imminent return of this teacher has a focusing effect. It has, a, it has an effect on the students to remind them, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing right now? Uh, oh, the, the math assignment. And it has a way to focus them on the task. Similarly, the, the fact of the imminent return of Jesus Christ has a sanctifying, focusing effect. Now, now we are not elementary age students trying to uh, hoodwink our teacher uh, and trying to get by with doing at least as what, what we uh, need to do. But under direct uh, observation, anyone is able to be a little slack. But that announcement that the, the Lord could return and He's coming has a way to sober us to what, what is it I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, in fact, the second coming is a reoccurring theme in Jesus' life and ministry. A couple of verses here from Luke chapter 12. Jesus says in Luke 12, 35, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. In the same chapter, verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find uh, so doing when he comes. Jesus tells a parable about ten virgins, virgins and, and half are ready when, when the, the bridegroom comes and half are not. 
He tells a parable of the talents, that people have various talents, and and, uh, some took them and and used them and invested them and got a return on them, and one didn't do anything with it, but buried it in the ground, and that servant is found wicked and lazy. He was not ready for his master's return. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus says, But watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So over and over, Jesus emphasizes in his teaching, I'm coming and you need to be ready. And I think he emphasized it because he knew the human propensity to be slack. That unless your boss is over your neck, you, you think, well, I, I don't have to work as hard. That, that without that imminence upon us of Christ's return, we may be tempted to slack and, and lose focus of, of what it is we are to be doing. Revelation, the book of Revelation, similarly has an emphasis on the return of Christ. John, as it were, was that boy that is looking for that teacher, and he gets a vision, and he knows what's coming. He sees for us, and he announces for us tonight that Jesus is coming. And he says, be ready, be be watchful. And so that's my exhortation to you tonight. Be ready for the return of Christ. If you look at verse 7, it's, it's framed by these sort of uh, focusing terms. It begins, behold, which means it's, it's emphatic. It's telling us what I'm about to say is important. Pay attention. And if that weren't enough, the verse ends, even so, amen, meaning don't forget what I just told you. And so we have a sandwich here of of something that is very important, and that something is Jesus is coming. Be ready. So be ready for the return of Christ. First, be ready for the return of Christ because it is imminent and sure. We saw in, the, in, our, in our first message in the book of Revelation, the, the book of Revelation is, is, in, is in the context of the last days. That we noted in that first verse that God made this uh, known, He made it known to His servants what must soon take place. And we noted that in Daniel's day, that phrase was, what will take place in the latter days? And now it's what must soon take place. And we noted, he's saying, the end of the ages has come. The culmination of God's redemptive plan is here. Whereas verse 3 ends, the time is near. And so there is an imminence to the return of Christ. That The end of all things is upon us. We are living in the last days. And John says in verse 7, he is coming with the clouds. 
he puts this in the present tense, but it actually is, it has a future meaning, but he puts it in the present tense for us to emphasize imminence. It's upon you. He, he is coming. Some see the delay of Christ. Well, you, say, you say the time is near, but it's been 2,000 years and Jesus hasn't returned. How can that be near? We think that it will be delayed. Surely not in my time. And this is how the world mocks the return of Christ. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. You may want to bookmark this tonight. We'll come back to this a few times. Peter is encouraging his, his readers here in, in chapter 3. And he says in verse 3, Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So these scoffers are coming. The last days are upon us. And what are these scoffers going to say? Chapter 3, verse 4. They will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Where, where is the promise of his coming? Where is this Jesus? You, this, this was written thousands of years ago and he hasn't come up. I haven't seen a sign of him. We don't, we don't need to think about a second coming. Live, live your life now. So Peter, these were scoffers in Peter's day, and, and the world still scoffs. And in fact, we've come up with more sophisticated theories to justify our scoffing. It's called the theory of evolution. There is no God. We are just a cosmic accident. And, and you don't have to worry about judgment. Death is just your ceasing of existence. This life is all you have. This religion stuff is foolish. Where is the promise of his coming? And Peter says this in verse 5. He says, they deliberately overlook this Fact And what is the fact? That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. They deny that God created the world. And they scoff. And, and, and Peter says they forget that God created the world and they forget that God flooded the world in in. Chapter, verse 6. And by means of, of, sorry, that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And so here are, are in our day and age, when the evolutionary theory reigns, don't worry about a second uh, judgment. Don't worry about the return of a Jesus. They scoff. 
Jesus warned about scoffing in, in his second coming. He says in Matthew 24, that as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, were eating, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. That there were scoffers in Noah's day. God said, I'm coming in a flood. You, you better be ready. Noah was preaching to the people. You can be saved. In the ark, there is salvation. God is judging this world for us. You crazy preacher. You don't know what you're talking Out of the, the years it took to build the ark, only Noah's family entered it. Everyone else scoffed and rejected this proclamation of the truth. Jesus says they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving, and marriage. They were just living their life, not knowing that great wrath was coming. We're getting married. We're enjoying nice dinners out. We're, we're just going on nice vacations. Everything is just wonderful. In verse 39 of, of Matthew 24, Jesus says, And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Here they were at, at a point of scoffing, of rejecting of God, and all of a sudden the boat closes and the rains come and the floods come and it's too late. If you've ever been to the Creation Museum in, in Kentucky, they have a little display of the ark. And I, it's very small, but they have on like these rocks as the water is coming up, people. And they're, 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 you can see the longing, the way they have them portrayed. They realize it's too late. So the world is scoffing. Where is the promise of his coming? But this news that Jesus is coming is of encouragement to the believer. Because in verse 9 of 2 Peter 3, uh, Peter encouraging them says, Remember, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. You may be tempted... To, to give in to this scoffing. You, you may be tempted to say, Lord, are you actually coming? Is, is this true? And Peter reminds us, no, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is merciful. God is patient with this wicked world. And, and, and he's still saving He's still working. He's still accomplishing his plan. But the second coming of Christ is good news for the believer. It has a sanctifying effect, as I said before, on the believer. If you knew that Christ would return this Friday at 5 p.m., how would that change your week? Those, those little marital quarrels would probably dissipate. 
your worries about your financial situation or, or uh, paying things or your retirement savings, those would seem inconsequential. You probably wouldn't skip your daily Bible reading and prayer. Those temptations that have assaulted you, those lusts that tempt you, would probably diminish. Why? You know, my Lord is coming, and, and that has a way to focus what I, I'm supposed to be doing right now, and all those things that are distracting to that uh, quickly becomes peripheral. Now, the point of this is not to say, Jesus is coming, quit your job, go on the mountain and and pray, or just spend your whole time in evangelism. No. This was the temptation in the church in Thessalonica. In fact, that's what some people were doing. Paul, in in his emphasizing uh, the second coming in these books, some people decided, I'm I'm just going to stop working. Why work? Jesus is coming. But Paul wanted them to work. He says in chapter 4, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. Don't quit your job. Go to work. Make your bed. Do your dishes. But he also tells them in chapter 5, verse 6, don't sleep though as others do. Let us keep awake and let us be sober. Jesus is coming. Stay with your task at hand, but don't, but, but stay awake. Luther was asked, what would you do if, if Jesus was coming back today and he said, I'd plant the tree, which for us seems strange. But the point is that we don't, faithfulness doesn't necessarily mean we're engaged in our devotions when Jesus comes back. Faithfulness is, are you, are you doing all that you do for the glory of God? So if Jesus came back tomorrow at 10 a.m. when you were in a business meeting as you should be, doing your job to provide for your families and be generous to others, that is faithfulness. He doesn't have to come back when you're, you're doing your devotions. The point is, are we living lives for the glory of God? So our, uh, this transforming effect, it doesn't have to do with our situation in life, but our personal sanctification. The point is that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to continually be fighting our sins. We're to be holding fast to Christ. We're not to let the world suck us in with its lust. We're to remain faithful to our Lord. He is coming. We must dress for action. We must be ready. It is imminent. It is sure. There are many things that we don't know about the future. We don't know the future of our country. We don't know the financial future of our country. We don't know when that disaster is coming. We don't know how world politics are shaping up. But one thing is sure, Jesus is coming. So be ready. It is imminent and sure. And it is sooner today than it was yesterday. 
So be ready for the return of Christ because it is imminent and sure. Secondly, be ready for the return of Christ because it is with great power and authority. Now John says he is coming with the clouds. If you were paying attention carefully, you would notice this is this is an allusion to Daniel chapter 7 that we read. Daniel 7:13, I'll read this again. I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So in this context, you know, Daniel has a vision of the future empires that are coming. But this, these empires will all be judged and this son of man figure appears before the ancient of days and he's given an eternal kingdom. And that this kingdom is coming with great power and authority. If you are in Daniel 7, look over at uh, verse 26. We're told that the court of heaven shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end, that last kingdom before the coming of Christ. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. All the authority... All the dominion, all the greatness and majesty of all the world kingdoms are going to be given to Jesus. And he will receive that and reign forever with his saints. That is great power and that is great authority. That you remember a similar, uh, same concept, different vision, and Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the the statue, all the different metals representing different kingdoms, and then that rock comes and smashes that statue, and that rock symbolizes uh, God's kingdom, the kingdom of Christ that is coming, and it is nothing compared to the worldly kingdoms of this age. Because what is the, who's the source behind this kingdom? In Daniel, it's, it's the Ancient of Days. We're told this in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. After telling us of the, the coming of Christ, it reasserts who God is. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Who's backing this kingdom? The Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. We'll see uh, this is called a merism, where you take the first and the last, and you're emphasizing all that's in between. First, last, Alpha, Omega. We looked at this phrase, who was and who is, who is and who was and who is to come. 
as a reference to the divine name. I am, God says. I'm the self-existent one. I am the eternal one. I am the, the Lord here. I am the creator. And he says, I'm the almighty. This word is used nine times in the book of Revelation, and as opposed to only one other time in the New Testament. John is, is telling us, the Lord is the almighty. He's the all ruler, as it were. This is the Greek rendering of that Old Testament, Lord of hosts. We sang that in the Luther hymn, Lord Sabaoth, his name. Lord of hosts, the Almighty. There is no power that compares to God's power. And so when Jesus is given this kingdom by his Father, nothing can resist it. And that's important for us to remember because as we read the book of Revelation, the kingdoms of this world are a great threat. They exercise great authority. They exercise great authority against the saints of God, even killing some. And remember, this is in the context. John is writing this book as he is in exile from the Roman Empire who is executing his authority, the Roman emperor of the day. In fact, by this time, some of the emperors were, were wanting to be called divine. And Domitian, who I believe was the emperor at the time of this writing, he, he wanted to be referred to as Lord and God. John is writing this, and he is warning these wicked empires. He's coming. He's coming with the clouds of heaven. He's coming in the authority of the Ancient of Days, who is the Alpha and Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, and the, who is the Almighty, and He is no match compared to you. You are no match to Him. And the same message goes out to all worldly leaders today. He's coming. We may look at a situation in China where the Communist Party has got a, such a grip on the culture. The, the president has such power and authority, and they are exercising it, as we see, against God's people to squash the preaching of the gospel. And Jesus' warning there is, I'm coming. And any kingdom, any power that is not under my lordship and bowing to me is going to be squashed. As we see uh, the, the, the injustice and the cruelty and the, the wickedness of, in Russia and the war in Ukraine, all these leaders think they're exercising great authority and they're, they're, they're following after their own worldly, bloody dreams and Jesus says, I'm coming. 
And he may not, and in the Western nations, we may not be having these kind of imperial interests, but as we have governments who propagate all manner of godly, ungodliness, of falsehood, and seeking to silence the church of Jesus Christ, God says to those leaders, I'm coming. And I'm coming with great power and authority. And that's great comfort for us, particularly as, as uh, the church receives uh, more pressure, more persecution. Do you not think it's a comfort to believers in China and Russia and North Korea that Jesus says, I'm coming with the clouds of heaven. I'm coming in the authority of my Father and I'm going to squash every rebellion against myself. That's great comfort. So be ready for the return of Christ because it is coming in great power and authority. Thirdly, be ready for the return of Christ because it is bringing either judgment or salvation for you. Because it is bringing either judgment or salvation for you. The last phrase we have to look at is the second part of verse 7 here. We saw he is coming with the clouds and it says every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. This is an allusion to the book of Zechariah, chapter 12. And I think this is, uh, this is a difficult allusion to ask yourself, what is John doing here with this text? And we, we noted in our Sunday school that John uses the Old Testament in various ways. So, in context here, God is coming to defeat the, the enemies of Israel and to, and to cause the Israelites to repent and to bring forgiveness of sins. It says in Zechariah 12.10, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. Before this time, the people are in idolatry. They're, they're falling away from their God. But I'm going to pour out a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, this is God, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns bitterly for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So uh, God is returning. They have a, a sense of repentance. In verse in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, On that day there will be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and uncleanness. So in this context, it's clear that Israel has this wailing and mourning. We've, we have not been faithful to our God. And that results in a repentance that leads to their cleansing and forgiveness. So that leaves us two options as we think about how do we interpret this, this text. 
are those wailing like these Israelites? They're wailing in repentance that, that is in forgiveness? Or are they wailing because they recognize it's too late? And I see that He is Lord. And I've lived my life as if He was not. And I think this is a difficult decision. And I think the latter is uh, better. That He's coming in judgment and they, they wail because they know it's too late. And one of the reasons why I think that is this verse, in fact, this verse combined with, with Daniel chapter 7 is also uh, found in Matthew 24, verse 30, in this uh, context of Jesus' sort of telling the destruction of the temple and the end of the age. And he says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Interestingly, John adds that this isn't Israel that's wailing. This is all the tribes of the earth. And so, once again, when we look at an Old Testament text, we have to see uh, what is the same and what is different here. And that is different. Interestingly, the Israelites are mourning as for a firstborn son. We were just told in, in Revelation uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 5 that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. There's another connection with Zechariah 12. So, so John is using this text to show us that the nations will see his coming and, and, and they will recognize their failure to acknowledge Christ's lordship. But either way we read this, Jesus is coming and he's bringing one of two things for every individual. He's bringing judgment or salvation. So judgment. They will wail. Every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Jesus is coming to judge every human being for their uh, lives and what they did with the revelation of God that they received. And when these people see Jesus coming and they see their life that they lived contrary to God and His Word, they look on Him who they pierced. Mankind rejected and crucified this Savior. They're going to wail. They're going to mourn. They rejected the Lord of the universe. They they were like those in the days of Noah. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying, giving in marriage, doing all sorts of merrymaking, pleasure-seeking. In many contexts, none of that is wrong. 
Marrying, giving in marriage, that's from God. These are good things. But the point is they were living for this world and the things of this world. They took no thought that Christ is coming and then he comes. And if you are here tonight, you will not live forever in the lie that you were telling yourself, if you are telling this to yourself, that there is no coming of Christ. You will not be able to live forever thinking, God, you know, he's just going to pass over my sins. He just has to accept me for how I am, right? Every eye will see him. That You will see Jesus Christ in all his glory. And if you have chosen to reject him as your Lord, if you have chosen to reject him as your Savior, you will be given judgment, which is eternal wrath of God separated from him forever. And that's coming. And that's a fearful thing to think about eternal wrath. Forever in agony. Because you've rejected the sovereign of the universe. But in this context, there is hope. Before this happens, there is hope. You do not have to, to wail in, in mourning and in sorrow for your sin. You do not have to face God's eternal wrath because that is why Jesus came. He lived that perfect life you and I can't live. And he died as a sacrifice to pay that penalty of death that you and I deserve for our sins. That if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, you get Jesus' righteousness. He received your condemnation. And instead of judgment at his eternal at his coming, you get salvation. You get glory forever with God. That can be yours tonight if you believe. But if you continue to reject this revelation, which you are accountable for, especially now in the hearing of the gospel, you will suffer eternal wrath separated from God forever. Because he is coming. But for believers, he's not coming with judgment to condemnation. He's coming with salvation. Final judgment is good news for the believers. I know this is hard for us to think about because we know we are not as faithful as we would like to be to our Lord. We, we know our, our, our failure so much, but final judgment is something to look forward to. It is something to, to want Because on that day we are vindicated not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. And that is perfection. And God fully and finally glorifies that and vindicates us before the world. You are righteous. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
enter into the joy of your master. This is good news for us. And we should look forward to the coming of Christ. As we close here this evening, consider the words once again from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, this, this world as we know it is passing away. Jesus is coming. Eternal life with God and righteousness is ours forever. Since, uh, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they Burn, But according to this promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And we say in the book of Revelation, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you as the sovereign and holy God could have a people from this sin-filled, miserable, compromised people, and you make a holy people, a royal priesthood, that you cause us to have righteousness, and that came at great cost for you of the death of your Son, we are far uh, uh, past our human ability to comprehend these glories that have been set before us. But Lord, we know that you are coming. You are coming with the clouds of heaven. Help us to live lives of holiness and godliness, waiting eagerly and joyfully for the coming of our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.